0: And Lord, the the charms that this song speaks of, you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You have given us everything that we need in order to fulfill what it is that you have for us. You've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. Lord, you've given us your son. As we look into your word this morning, we pray, Father, that you would open our hearts, our minds, that we would be able to see clearly those things that you have for us uh, from the time it was written and even uh, before, from the time that uh, eternity, uh, the time began. So we pray that you would uh, watch over us and help us to focus on you this day, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please have a seat. I, um, I have been fascinated by the ancient Greek and Egyptian cultures since I was a, ch- a child. I, I'm not an expert, but I do appreciate <coughs> uh, those civilizations. For example, Cleopatra was known for her perfumes. And uh, even one time, she soaked the uh, the sails of her ship when she went to visit Mark Antony uh, so that he could uh, smell her scent before he saw her. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it's one thing to, uh, to say, to read about smelling something. it's It's quite another to actually uh smell it uh fortunately egyptologists have done this for us so in, it's in 1989 uh Barbara and I went over to Egypt for the first time and and while we were there uh we discovered that they had found some perfume in king tut's uh tomb and they had reconstituted it and uh and now it was uh, there for us to be able to uh, smell. So Barb is wearing that this morning. So if you uh, if you want to smell a fragrance from ancient Egypt, royal, uh, just come up to her and say hello. Actually, she does. She has the bottle, which should be an advertisement for all of you. If you're going to get perfume, get oil. Forget the alcohol stuff. This is 34 years old and uh, and well used, I might add. It lasts such a nice long time. Anyway, uh, not only perfumes, but another thing uh, that's fascinating is uh, uh, sourdough bread. So any bread maker will tell you that sourdough uh, bread doesn't just appear on your counter's because you want it to. It actually is made from a starter that has a life of its own. Do you know there's a starter right here in the United States that you can get that's over two thirty years old. If you go over to Europe, you go to England, you can find a well let me you know you know what let me go to Bavaria first. Four hundred year old starter. That's, that's never been unbroken for 400 years, but in England you can go to Wales and there's a starter that's been going there for a thousand years. You can get a thousand-year-old starter for your bread, and uh, finally, although not continuously used, you'll see why in a, in a second. Uh, the question arose uh, by Seamus Blackley. He's the guy who created the Xbox. I wonder if, see, this is what you can do if you've got enough money. I wonder if I collaborated with a microbiologist and an Egyptologist, if we could get some of the yeast found in some of the pots in some of these old kingdom, 4,500-year-old tombs, and bring them back uh, to life. And they did. They were successful in doing that. And I I find it remarkable that we can uh, smell these ancient aromas, that we can literally eat these ancient uh, breads. uh, And uh, just it's an amazing thing to me how those things can be restored. Now, bread, unlike perfume, is necessary for life it's been at the forefront, even in the Bible, since the very beginning. Genesis 3.19, as part of the curse, is by the sweat of your brow, by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. Uh, we even have a, a scene where the pre-incarnate uh, Christ ate bread with Abraham. Bread is often called the staff of life. And the, the reason it's called that is a staff, is uh, something... Uh, that is uh, a, like a long straight rod, but what you should think of in, in addition to the staff that you hold is like a column. It's one of the pillars that allows us to live the staff of life. In Ezekiel 4.16, God tells us that he would break the staff of bread in Jerusalem. That's quite the uh, quite the curse. But think about how we use this uh, term. When I say uh, bread and butter, none of you, well, maybe some of you, but most of you don't think of a slice of bread with butter on it. You think of your, your life in terms of how you make a living, your job, uh, it, it, the basics of sustenance, uh, the bread basket is, of course, that agricultural area where we grow certainly more than wheat. But nevertheless, it's that place that says where we get food, where it's grown. When we break bread with one another, we're sharing a meal with one another. And, you know, you can even get it to the point where, uh, you know, man, you got any bread, right? You're talking about bread as money, and that's so, uh, uh, much a part of our society, and not just ours, but others around the world, that it's even gone, uh, to an earlier form, not even bread, we call it dough. Yeah, dough is, uh, for, uh, for money. And then finally, uh, a breadwinner refers to the primary. Uh, earner in a in a family. So while bread can be literal, that is, it can literally fill your uh, stomach, it's also uh, uh, a metaphor. And a metaphor, bread is that which nourishes life. We've got a, a bunch of those kinds of metaphors. There are a few that rise to the top, like the breath of life. Uh, you know, you can only go for about three minutes without doing permanent damage to your brain. That's about it. So we need to breathe a great uh, deal. And then you have the the water of life. I mean, think, uh, well, with the breath of life, think Adam and Eve, right? And how God breathed life into them. And the water of life, think the woman at the well... And we can make it for about three days, I guess, without water. But today's interest uh, is the bread of life. Think Jesus Christ. The average person can make it, I guess, about three or so weeks without, uh, without any food. But without this bread, they will perish for eternity. So in our text, we've been following an extended story and conversation that ultimately will culminate in an inflection point. That is a point where there's an irreversible change. And that comes uh, towards the end of our discussion today and certainly uh, next, uh, next week. And the, the real uh, point there is, that would the disciples remain with Jesus? And you'll see why as we go, as we go through this, it's uh, it's a question about whether not just the people would remain with Jesus, but would even the disciples remain with him. And it seems to me, as I read it, that this uh, Jesus walking on the water—we talked about this last week—how that was specifically for the disciples. And by extension, us. But it was for the disciples. And I believe that that is a part of what holds the disciples together as Jesus begins to talk about some really extraordinary things in some extraordinary ways. And a a culture and a, a people which didn't do well with metaphor had a really hard time with what he was talking about. So we'll begin our text in verses, um, chapter 6, verse 22 through 25. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but that his disciples had gone on alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread, After the Lord had given thanks. And so, when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So, what you had was the crowd. They were still where they had been fed. Uh, because they hadn't seen Jesus leave. In fact, they had likely seen Jesus telling the disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side. And so they assumed he was still in the area. And it was only afterwards, probably since some scouts out there running around, where's Jesus, where is uh, Jesus, that they noticed he wasn't there anymore. And so uh, these folks, I don't know uh, where they were... uh, uh, going to ultimately, but these boats came from Tiberius. They got in these boats and they went to Capernaum and they found him uh, and they and they asked him, uh, when did you come here? Uh, Jesus doesn't even really give him the time of day for that question. Uh, he could have said, well, I, I walked, <laughs> but that would have uh, not, uh, you know, gone over very well with him. Uh, and as we mentioned several times, this walking on the water was for his disciples. But they were seeking Jesus for the wrong reasons. And because of that, he didn't even respond uh, to their questions. And uh, unfortunately, one of the tragedies of of humanity is that is that often we seek these things. Even good things, we seek them, but for... Uh, the wrong uh, reasons. And that, what the uh, people did then, didn't end in the first century. So, in verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you uh, ate your fill of the loaves. So, by saying truly, truly, he's emphasizing the importance of the message, and he rebukes them. He rebukes the people because of those motives that they had and just a complete lack of spiritual understanding. Although they had witnessed the miraculous, they had entirely uh, failed to recognize the significance of it. I mean, they only saw it as an opportunity to uh, have uh, meals for life. When Jesus said, uh, after that, he said uh, in verse 27, Do not... Work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. God the Father has set his seal on him. Now, Jesus was not promoting laziness. It it may seem like the Lord was saying, you know, that working and earning money for food is, is not worth it. But that's not the case. Not only is it clear in other scriptures that's not the case, it's clear that God has given us the ability and the desire to work to meet our uh, basic needs. And even, uh, even beyond that. So rather than just working to obtain food, which is the Lord's point, don't just work to obtain uh, food, work in order to do the will of uh, God. See labor as an opportunity of God working through us in the lives of others. And we should focus on that which is lasting, not that which is temporal. And then they said to him, what must uh, we do to be doing the works of God? Now, while that seems to make sense on the surface, it does show that the people... Believed, and we, we learned this in uh, Romans chapter 10 and, and, and a number of other places that it indicated to, uh, to uh, uh, Jesus certainly understood it, that the people were wanting to know what work do I have to do in order to please God? Tell me what to do. If I need to stand on one leg and blow a trumpet, that's what I will do crossing oceans and diving to the depths of the sea. Whatever it might be, tell me what to do and I will do it. And what we find is that the work of God that he wants them to do is the one that they will not do. And that is (laughs) believe. In verses 29 through 31, uh, his response is telling. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him. Whom he has sent. If you have ever asked that question, what does God want me to do? It's right here. Right here. Jesus Christ tells you what it is that God wants you to do. He wants you to believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, it's amazing. When you're blind, you're just, you don't see. So they just, they just blew right past that. And they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. I mean, the people were demanding what? These were the same people who were by the Sea of Galilee who had just been fed 5,000 plus women and children. And they were waiting around to force him to become king so that he might feed them. And they might not have to go through starvation or famine again. And what it is that they want. I mean, it's jaw-dropping, really. Jesus, we saw what you just did back there. But you know what? That doesn't count anymore. We need the latest, the greatest, the newest, the shiniest miracle that you can come up with. And that's the way we are. Lord, I know you did this yesterday, and I know you did this for so-and-so, and I even read this in a book about something that you did. But Lord, it's me. You need to do this for me today, now. Jesus said to them, another truly, truly, which marks out what he's saying. Don't... When you see this truly, truly, uh, don't don't just bypass that. Allow that to sink in. Jesus Christ is putting a, a special emphasis on this. And it doesn't actually appear that many times in Scripture. But he says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So Jesus told them that they were wrong in two ways. First, it wasn't Moses who gave manna. Manna. What is it in the wilderness? It was God. Moses was an instrument of God, but it was God who gave the manna. So he wanted to clarify that with it. Moses didn't do this. God did this. Second, they were wrong in that they thought that what they needed was manna. That's not what they needed, in particular in this context. We'll go to Deuteronomy at the end of the message to look at that a little bit more. But what it is, is he's saying, you need my life in you in order to live. But there. Belief was predicated on performance. You see, that's the thing. If your way of understanding that you're right with God is performance, oh, my bank account is full, therefore I'm right with God. That's a lie from the pit. I hope you know that. My health is well, so I'm right with God. No, no, it's not. It doesn't as a necessity, a necessity. It's not a necessary correlation. When we take the events in our life and we say that that is what makes us right with God, we misunderstand entirely. Like these people misunderstood entirely the work of God here. The ultimate result of that, of course, is to change people's lives. To take someone say, uh, who's uh, focused on making money just for themselves and transform them into people who are compassionate. This demands the transforming power of God, but that's not even what's in reference here. That's not what he's talking, as true as that might be, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about eternal change in the person's heart. They failed to recognize something. Which again, Deuteronomy points out, Jesus points out, frankly, that many of the Israelites who received the manna did not believe. They did not believe. They did not believe in the magnitude of the sign in terms of that no matter how great that was, it was less important than the significance. God's signs authenticated both Moses and uh, Jesus. And therefore, he should be listened to. He's saying, listen to me and uh, believe. Manna was useful as food for the body, but uh, Jesus is essential for existence. verse 33, he says, "...for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven." and gives life to the world now the the people who are listening to him at this point are beginning to beginning to get a clue but in the in the wrong direction what Jesus is is saying here essentially is that sin has cut us off from God we have been alienated from God But the bread of life, Jesus, is the source of life. And when we were lost and cut off, we died spiritually and physically. But with Jesus Christ, there is a spiritual renewal, resurrection as it were, a life that we have because we... Take him as the bread of life. And they said to him, they're still they're still they're still confused. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. That should remind you of an earlier discussion with a woman at a well when he's talking about this water. Hey, if you drink this water, you'll never be thirsty again. And so what'd she say? I'm in. Give me, give me that water. I don't want to be thirsty again. Give me some of that water. So they're here the same way. Give me that bread. Um, they understood that he was talking about food, like manna, which only lasted for 40 years. And so Jesus, you know, this, this passage, it's, I'm, I'm breaking it up into bits. Because if I, I, I the the whole thing is actually quite long here, but he is so patient with them, but so he finally just says, "Okay, I gotta I gotta be plain." And then a little bit later, he even becomes more plain than that. Jesus said to them, "I am the bread of life. Who comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst." This is one of the most profound text in the entire New Testament and this I am statement is the first major one in a series of I am statements that Jesus makes which'll we'll, uh, we'll talk about later but this notion of the bread of life is a nourishment that provides life in our in our modern world many of us Think that bread is bad? We do. Bread is uh, is not something that we want, or we want a minimum uh, of this. It was even it's unhealthy, even. But until re- that's, until recent times, bread was absolutely essential, essential to life. And so, when Jesus promised they would never go hungry or never be thirsty, here in the text, uh, I am the bread of the life, uh, and uh, he, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. These nevers are emphatic. In other words, it's not like, you know, you're uh, going to get hungry again. I mean, you're only not hungry after you've eaten. Like yesterday... You guys with me? Some of you were, many of you were there. That was so good. But you're not hungry only after you've eaten. I ate breakfast this morning. Somehow or another, there was a room in me and need for more food. But what Jesus is saying is this hunger and this thirst uh, never returns. This is the foundation of Christianity. The eating and drinking means coming to and believing in Jesus Christ. And what that shows you is His patience and His mercy, His forgiveness, His compassion, His love. Jesus doesn't stop there. He he said... But raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. These are things that should make the Spirit soar when you hear Jesus Christ. Because what is he saying? He's saying, if you find your nourishment in me, you will never be away from me. I will not lose you. Nothing, he says, nothing of all that he has given me but will raise it up on the last day. That should cause a sense of worship and awe in us. But it didn't. Not with these Jews. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them and he said, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So again, he rebukes them for this lack of faith. And you'll see what's happening here is a tension that's building up in the, in the crowd. A momentum that's, that's moving towards a particular point, which I think is the inflection point in the entire ministry of Jesus in just a few verses. In verse 45 and 46, he says, It is written in the prophets... And they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, and he has seen the Father. So Jesus was quoting it was either isaiah either and uh, isaiah fifty four or jeremiah thirty one to support this notion. That we have salvation through the grace of God. They will be taught by God, referring to God's work within us that allows us to accept Jesus Christ as the truth. They will listen and they will learn as to what the ultimate truth is. And Jesus summarizes this again in 47 through 50. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. His patience with them is extraordinary where he's trying to get them to understand what what he's saying and they just they just can't do it but what we understand is that through his sacrificial death Jesus gave himself as the bread of life he says that the the, the flesh i give is uh, for the salvation of, of of the world he says i am the living bread in 51 and 52 the that came down from heaven if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I get, will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews they began then to dispute, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They just they just didn't get it. Now, some of you will get this reference. Many of you will not. But as close as I can come to this and my understanding as to how the people uh, thought is uh, I'm reminded of Drax. And so in Guardians of the Galaxy. So if you don't know who Drax is, this is not going to help. Hopefully I'll say enough to explain it. But uh, uh, Rocket, who ultimately, you know, Rocket Raccoon, uh, he's talking about Drax after people are like going, what in the world is wrong with this guy? And he said, his people are completely literal. Metaphors go over his head. And Drax responded, nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. I would catch it. This This is what Jesus is dealing with. He's trying to make a point to these people about what it means to trust and believe in Jesus Christ, and they're worried about eating a finger or a piece of his arm or something. I mean, they just don't get it. It, And he doubles down on the metaphor uh, in, in 53 through 59. So Jesus said to them, again, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in me. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Isn't this like the third or fourth time Jesus has said this? People, he's saying, come on, for the my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And the living Uh, Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Oh, by the way... You can go to Israel today and while that synagogue that's there is not the one that he taught in, it is most assuredly built on the foundation of the one that he, that he taught these things in. So you can go right uh, essentially to the place within uh, earshot of where, he, of where he said these things. And what we have to understand so that we don't get lost in this... And oh, by the way, churches throughout history, have been divided on these very words. About, you know, is, is, is he talking... What's he talking about? Is he talking about communion? Is he talking about his work on the cross? Is what's, he, what's happening here? And we have to understand that he is talking about the atonement. And it's only in this way that we can unlock the puzzle of his uh, words where he's explaining that food and drink sustain... Physical life, He sustains spiritual life, and that believing in Him means partaking of Him. Let me clear that uh, out uh, for just a moment. What does that even? What does that mean? So that we don't get lost, because I'm afraid sometimes we're lost in this too. To eat something means what? It means to assimilate it. It means to incorporate it. It means to integrate it into your life. So what does it mean to assimilate Jesus? So to answer the question, we turn to Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 and 3. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord... Your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that He might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. And He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is one of the earliest references that we have where there's a parallel between physical and spiritual eating. Okay, so it's not uh, directly stated, but it's implied that Israel's got something uh, to, ...to do here. And what that is... ...is to depend upon... ...the providence of God. When tempted by Satan... ...Jesus used this verse. Jesus quoted this in Matthew 4.4... 4, ...and what he suggested there... ...was unlike Esau, I famished... ...therefore, uh, you know... ...what good is this thing to me... ...I'm going to die... He gained a vitality from what? From the very word of God. And therefore, unlike Esau, he did not succumb to temptation. The problem that we have is that our human nature focuses almost entirely on the physical uh, God will provide us with wilderness experiences, oh, by the way, to let us know that there's a spiritual aspect to our life. If you haven't caught that through there, I mean, it was in Deuteronomy, it was in what Jesus said. A lot of the things that God does is for our benefit. doesn't feel like it sometimes. But it is. And there's this physical aspect that we focus on. And we can understand that when we are assimilating Jesus, there is prayer, there's study, there's meditation, there's obedience. Now, this is kind of a using a metaphor as a physician, but nevertheless, I, I, I think true. And that is this. When you look at physical malnutrition, it becomes evident to the eye. You see it. You see, you see when a person is malnourished. Uh, but the spirit starves in a different way and much more slowly. And it goes unrecognized and for extended periods of time. Why? Because the body might look good. Might be healthy. But the spirit might not be. When the body cries out for food, you feel the stomach the emptiness there, the weakness, the tiredness that goes on there. Faintness, headache, whatever. We all are familiar with the little uh, word uh, hangry. You know, that's what happens, uh, you know. Yeah, don't argue before a meal. Wait till after the meal and then and it'll go better for you. But when the spirit is malnourished, either from deprivation... They're not getting a steady diet of the Word of God. We saw that in Deuteronomy. Or or even a harmful diet. Not all teaching is good to eat. There is a reaction in life that's different. And I, I just thought this morning, you might want to do a little checkup in closing. Because the stuff I read, I just didn't like it. Uh I I'm, I'm not the kind of guy that just goes along with what everybody what everybody thinks so sometimes I throw my own thoughts in 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 there cuz they were saying that what does a spiritually starved person look like? Well, they're depressed. They're anxious. And I'm like, "Yeah, I don't think so necessarily. I'm not sure if that's what it is." You know, and and I thought about this and I thought about it hard because I wanted you to be able to check your own spiritual life because there are physical things that cause depression and anxiety. There are things like that that cause those things. So it's not necessarily a spiritual thing. I'll tell you what I think it is. I think it's a lack of things that are reflected in... Jesus Christ himself, I think, is a lack of compassion, a lack of mercy, a lack of forgiveness, a lack of love. Those are things that I think are indicative of what it means to be spiritually malnourished. Uh, And I, I think that if we want to turn that around, if you're puzzled as to what God wants you to do, is simply believe in Him and those things that follow from that. All spiritual development and our trajectory are founded on this uh, one thing. And we have to ask ourselves today, what is our spiritual health? Because nobody can see it. Nobody nobody can see it. Uh, It's something that you answer... Internally, so while your belly may be full, your spirit may be empty, turn to Jesus Christ today. Allow him to be the fullness of your life, and he will fill you. Father, it was a a long passage today. We weren't able to pause At very many points. But I do pray. That people would walk away. With an understanding. That the work of God. That we are to do. Is to believe in Jesus Christ. And by believing. We assimilate. We integrate. We allow Jesus Christ into our lives in such a way that we begin to know what it is to not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from you. We thank you and we praise you through Christ our Lord. Amen.